Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to make disciples who honor God, love people, and impact the world. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's today's podcast. We're starting a new sermon series today. We just finished up four weeks in our series called Diluted where we discuss the different ways in which our lack of understanding of who Jesus actually is can cause his message and his work for us to be diluted, to be watered down, to not have as much impact in our lives and our understanding of him. That was a great series. I think it was, um, it communicated a lot of great things. It yielded a lot of amazing life group conversations. Um, But this next series, as we move as a church physically, And as the sun is out for the four months that we get it in Oregon, right, we're doing a series called The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. I didn't know that was an art. Well, for four weeks, it's going to (laughs) be. The Art of Neighboring. So what does it look like from a biblical perspective to be a good neighbor? Specifically, as it's charged, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to look at the different ways in which the scriptures address this and see what it means for us, both where we live, our neighborhoods, in our community, our neighbors in our faith community, and just our, our fellow citizens. What does it look like to be a good neighbor and to love our neighbor as ourselves? And it's going to be four different uh, weeks of that. We do have one guest preacher for one of those weeks. Craig Paulson from Corvallis is going to be coming down and doing one of these messages. So it's going to be awesome, and um, I'm excited for it. But this is all kind of oriented around that command to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're honest, loving others isn't easy, right? Like, it's easy from time to time. We can put our best foot forward for minutes or hours at a time every now and then. But it's, it's just not easy. We have to be selfless and intentional as we do that. And that's why I think this is an important thing for us to be encouraged in. Especially, like I said, this is like the four months in this glorious state we live in where people come outside frequently. And so we have the opportunity to meet people, interact with folks, talk to people that have been hibernating, right? Like, that's just how it is here in in the Northwest. Now, starting in the Old Testament and moving through the Gospels and Paul's letters, this series looks at how God expects us to fulfill this command today. So not just what it said to the people in the biblical times, what, what does this say to us today? And each week, there will be a discussion in the life group. If you're not in one, I would encourage you to get in one about the different aspects of love as depicted in that particular text, as depicted in that text. So just to kind of start to unpack this, like this concept of neighbor for us can come with a lot of baggage, can't it? Um, I remember my first experience living outside of my parents' home was in a dorm. And I mean, dorm life, right? It's amazing. And then I moved into an apartment. And apartment life was not for me, especially when I'm on the upper floor, because I live with some other old linemen from my football team, and I wouldn't want to live under us, right? It's like, oh, you wake up in the middle of the night, you got to use the bathroom. It's like, <laughs> the Hulk is up there walking around. So we, we get complaints, people are mad, like, what do you want me to do, wet my bed? You know, like, there's just this whole neighboring dynamic that can get challenging. That was as a young, you know, college student that we had those issues. But then you move into a home and you have a yard and you park your car in certain places in your neighborhood and now there's new tensions that develop and new tightropes that you have to walk to try to love your neighbor in the tangible ways, right? Like no matter what your living situation is, unless you live like 
uh, you know, on 100 acres with nobody around you, then your neighbors are just wild animals. But if you live where you have actual neighbors, homes, neighborhood, this kind of thing, apartments, there is tensions that can come up. And because of our experiences in those, this concept of neighboring comes along with some baggage. It comes along with some baggage. Some of us have had great neighbors. Some of us have had less than great neighbors. And then there's just kind of the ambiguous, like, oh, yeah, they're my neighbor. That's, that's great. I know since we moved into our home, how many of you know that in Oregon, like, it's really wet, and then the grass stays green, and then it dries up? And I, where I grew up, it's like, the lawns take the summer off, it's going to take a nap, right? You let, it, you let it turn brown, it goes dormant, it, it gets some good rest in, and then it all comes back when the rain comes back. Well, we live in a community that's a lot of retired folks. And that is not okay, I found out, a couple years into this living in this neighborhood, when the, like people were literally knocking on our door, angry, like, why did you let your yard die? And so we had to learn to love our neighbors in a whole new way, through like an e-web bill that was three times what we would have liked it to be, because <laughs> loving our neighbor meant keeping our lawn green. I was tempted to get some of that spray paint. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, neighboring can be an art. There are tensions to navigate. There are difficult conversations to navigate. And we are in a season, both like this spring, if we even had a spring, summer season that we're in, but also as a church, we're neighboring. We need to pursue the art of it and how to be good neighbors and love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's what we are going to look at. Now, this command to love your neighbor is found throughout the New Testament many times, right? We've, we've all heard that, love your neighbor, love your neighbors yourself. Um, but as a New Testament congregation, like a, a testament or a, a congregation that's like after Jesus, you know, after the, the Old Testament and the New Testament were written, we need to remember that like when this is referenced, this love your neighbor, it comes from Leviticus. It's a reference of Leviticus. It's not just like, oh, Jesus said that. So much of what Jesus said and taught was referring to the Old Testament because the believers, the people that were following him, they only had the Old Testament and they would have grown up being like saturated with this word. And so he often referenced it to communicate things. And we can lose that, right? Because I don't have the Old Testament memorized. Oh, shame, pastor. Right? I, I don't. I'm guessing that some of you may not as well. And so when these things are thrown out, we're not like, oh, yeah, Leviticus 19. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not where our minds go. And so I have really expensive software that tells me that. And then I can share that with you guys. So, so that's, that's where we're at with that. But this comes all the way back from Leviticus. Um, and so a, the, the majority of the message today will actually be from Leviticus, um, which if you've ever read through it, you're like, okay, how many different ways can we do an offering, right? Like it's God's instituting his offering system so that people can be in his presence again. It's really repetitive and it can be hard to make it through, but hopefully this will help you um, look for some, some nuggets as, as you read through your scriptures. So the most common scripture that many of us think of today when we hear this command to love our neighbors ourselves comes from the Gospels. And I'm going to read the one from the book of Mark uh, for us as we dig into this. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, with everything. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater 
than these. When Jesus says this is the second greatest commandment, he is quoting Leviticus 19. And so to better understand what's being said here, we're going to learn from that portion of scripture as we enter into the series. Because that's where it all started. So we're going to start the series there. So Leviticus 19 verses 15 through 18. It says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. It's like stamped like, listen, I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There just seems to be some emphasis there, doesn't there? I'm going to pray and we're going to dig into what this is saying to us. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that whether it's Leviticus and the Old Testament or the, the New Testament and the Gospels, that all of us, all of that points to Jesus and speaks to us. And thank you that your word is alive and every bit of it has something important to say to us today. So would your Holy Spirit use my words, communicate your heart to your kids this morning. We thank you so much for this time. Amen. So in this short passage, I'm sure many questions pop into your head as I read it. Like, ooh, interesting. Ooh, that's a strong word people don't use much today, right? Like that happens when we read the Old Testament. Um, There's many things we can talk about. But for today, I believe there's three simple points that God wants to highlight for us as we look at the art of neighboring, if you will. The first point is reputation. Reputation. If we look at verses 15 and 16 again, it says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. These two verses address not just the ways in which we should treat others, but the ways in which we have an opportunity to testify, to represent the Lord, to represent Yahweh. That's the word when he says, I am the Lord. It's saying, I am Yahweh. So these things aren't just like behavior modification points that he's making. This is an opportunity that he's giving his people to testify and witness to who he is by obeying these commands, by living This way, meaning if we were to engage in those, we are testifying in a poor way to who he is. We are bad representation, right? So when we think a reputation, what is our reputation? That's also how we represent. What is the representation we are giving of our king, of our Lord and Savior from the way we are living? And the reputation here that the Israelites, God's people, were to have on earth was important because their lives were to point to their king. It wasn't just important because God wanted to have a bunch of robots that never did anything wrong. That didn't work, right? That's not the point. The point is that God is good. He is full of love and mercy and justice. And he wants the way in which his people live to point to that. He wants the reputation of his people to point to a good, loving, merciful, just king. And when he's addressing that, I believe that's what God wants to speak to us today through that is how... Is the way that we are living, neighboring, engaging in our community, pointing to what we know to be true about God? Or is it pointing to that? And if not, would you take a second and maybe make some adjustments through the power of the Holy Spirit in you to testify to who He is? To 
testify for, to who he is. So they were instructed to care for the least of them, to speak well of one another, to care for life. Seemingly simple things, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm just not going to talk smack about people. Well, how long have you been alive and how many times has that been something you've had to deal with with others or in your own heart? Like, it's not as easy as it just seems when we read it on the surface. But when taken seriously, when walked out in our daily lives, it leads to a reputation of a people that are set apart by God and for God. And that's what we as his church, the expression of like how he is going to reach this world are called to be a people that are set apart in their reputation. The reputation of God's people is not important so that we can be looked at favorably, right? It's not like, yeah, I got a good reputation. People know I'm a good person. I don't do this. No, that's, that's not the point. The point of us having a good reputation is so that they see the God that is leading us that it always points to our King, our Savior, our Lord, and that He will be looked upon, looked to, and glorified as we pursue living godly lives. Verses 15 and 16, I believe that's what God wants to speak to us through that. The second point is this. I think there's a forgiveness element in here. Forgiveness is one of those things that in the church it can either not be talked about or talked about in a really religious fashion, like improper, I, I believe. So there's this command to love your neighbor as yourself in verse 18. And it's, it's a general statement at the end of a series of social just, justice commands in Leviticus. Like that's what's happening in the verses before this is God through Moses to his people is delivering these kind of social justice commands. Now, if we consider the definition of justice as making things right, we can understand these commands as an expression of God's love. These commands, again, aren't just to make people robots. It's to express his love and help others express their love back to him. When someone sins against us, what is right in God's eyes? According to this passage, it's to rebuke them frankly while refusing to bear a grudge or seek revenge. Refusing to bear a grudge or seek revenge. In other words, it's a right to call sin what it is, and even to do something about it, have a frank conversation with somebody, but we are to forgive and love the sinner just as God does for us, just as God does for us. Oswald Chambers, some of you may have heard of him, he wrote a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. It's like one of the most popular devotions out there. He says this, I believe it's on June 27th, if you ever want to reference it. <laughs> it says, never look for justice in this world, but never cease to give it. If we look for justice, we will begin to grouse, which means grumble and complain. I had to look it up because I was like, grouse, I'm not talking about hunting. <laughs> Never, we will begin to grumble and complain and to indulge in the discontent of self-pity. Why should I be treated like this? If we are devoted to Jesus Christ, we have nothing to do with what we meet, whether it's just or unjust. Because Jesus says, go steadily on with what I have told you to do and I will guard your life. Whether we have to deal with something that is just or unjust to us, if we are in Christ Jesus, we need to understand, believe, and have faith for the fact that he will guard our lives as we are obedient and follow out the calling and mission he's given us. It's not our responsibility to deal with each situation, and whether it's just or unjust, that's his business. Our business is being faithful and fruitful in what he's called us to do. So if... Determining what is just and unjust is not something we are 
to worry about. Um, I, I, I think most of us would, if we're honest with ourselves, though, would admit that when it comes to sin, like we really like to receive mercy. Like we want to make sure that we're given mercy, um, but we want justice for other people. Right. And, and we see that in the, in the rhetoric of our society right now. Everybody wants mercy for their ideologies, their their thoughts their actions, but we want everyone else to be hammered down on for theirs. It's like, we will readily receive mercy, but we want justice to happen to that person, to those people. It's something that we deal with. We wrestle with inside as we are great receivers of mercy most of the time. And we really love to witness justice outside of our own story or narrative. But this is what God's command is reconciling here. We should treat others the way that we hope to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we, he's reconciling like, no, this isn't about you getting a bunch of mercy and me giving other people justice. This is about like reconciling those things and not putting that on us, our responsibility, our call to make. Now, this can be hard because some of us, for some of us, engaging in relationships and neighboring can be really difficult. It can be difficult because like I said earlier, we have baggage in this area. We have baggage relationally. We have baggage with neighbors. We have experiences that contribute to the way in which we do relationships with those around us. And it can be really hard to wrap our head around this because we've been hurt and we've been scarred in the past. I don't know about you guys, but when I think of going out and meeting new people or engaging with people that may have hurt me or said something mean or, you know, spread something about me in the past, I'm, I'm resistant to that. Because there's this self-protection that comes in. Like, you know what? Been burned once, not going to happen again, right? Moving along. And we allow that to dictate our obedience, our fruitfulness, how we are faithful to God's calling on our life because we've been hurt or we've been scarred or we're holding some grudge or some bitterness. And the baggage that we carry can get in the way of what God is commanding us to do and how he's commanding us or calling us to live. But we need to realize that when we leave the justice part to God, it empowers us to forgive. When we, when we leave that justice to him, it empowers us to actually forgive. And when we forgive, our scars no longer point to the offense or the offender or our past hurts, but now our scars point to the healer. You see that when, when our scars just tell of an offense and an offender and they point to the person that hurt us and whatever grudge or bitterness we have, that, that's, that's what they're pointing to. But when we forgive, the scars now point to the one who healed us. They point to the one who healed us. Scars are okay. Don't hate your scars. But let them point to the one that healed you, not the one that harmed you. Because when we have scars, we are in excellent company. We are in really good company. You see, Jesus rose from the dead. And it talks about his scars being a part of what testified to the greatness of what God did in that resurrection moment. And fulfilled what God said he was going to do as the disciples were trying to wrap their heads around what was happening. Jesus had the power to raise again scar-free. Like, you know what? I, that whole new body thing in this, I want a new body, I don't want these scars, I'm just going to come back in all my glory, like we're going to be totally uh, restored physically. He's God, he could have done that. But here's what happens in John 20, and I think this is important for us to understand. In John 20, verses 24 through 27, it says this, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, 
one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, seven days later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. You see, there's something about the witness of the scars that cause us to believe. There's something about the presence of those and who they point to, what they testify to, that cause us to believe because the scars testify to a healing. They testify to a healing. There's something about a scar that testifies to something that has been went through and not stayed in. It doesn't say bloody open wound from the nails. It says scars. It testifies to what God brought him through, not being left in something. Not being left in something. So if you're walking through or have recently walked through something that's left you some scars, something in your life, you're in good company. You're in good company. And when you can let go and leave the justice part to God and forgive, your scars will no longer testify to the offender, but they will testify to the healer. Amen? Isn't that good news? Because so many times I think in my life, like, gosh, I got these scars. I got this stuff that's happened. I wish they'd just go away. Like, where are the men in black? And they can come zap me, and I don't have to remember that stuff anymore. You guys resonate with that? There's some stuff you just don't want to have to deal with. But if we cannot remember the ways in which God has brought us through things and healed us, then how do we testify to that to others so that he can work in those things? The scars should not be wished away, but they should point to the one who's healed us. And when your scars testify to the healer, we don't have to engage in the art of neighboring or in loving our neighbor of ourselves as ourselves from a place of preservation. We don't have to be guarded and try to preserve ourselves Because as we go on the way of what God has told us to do, he will guard our life. Thank you, Oswald Chambers. He will protect us. He will speak through our scars. And he will allow those things to reach others, to teach others of who he is and that his transforming power is available still to them because they will have seen it in you. So will you forgive when it comes to this conversation of neighboring and reaching out and loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you be willing to forgive so that your scars will testify to the God who saved you? Forgiveness. Point number two. In the third, there is a definite intentionality piece in this. In verse 18, the Hebrew word for love is ahab. Now this word implies an ardent which is enthusiastic or passionate, and vehement, which is showing strong feeling, forceful, passionate, or intense, inclination of the mind and tenderness of affection at the same time. Throughout the Old Testament, this word is used to express God's tender mercies and unspeakable love for his people, to express affection in human relationships and close ties of friendship, and in familial affection between parents and children. That love has a lot wrapped into us and what this or into it. And what this tells us is that love isn't just 
at, like passive. It's not just thinking loving, compassionate thoughts for someone. Oh, yeah, I love them. Golly, they're such a good... Like, no, it's, it's not just this internalizing of something, feeling good about somebody. It's active, and it requires action. So the question that begs for us is, do you love others just with just your thoughts, or do you also love them by actively reaching out? Are you intentional with the way in which you love your neighbor as yourself? Because all too often we can get focused on what we have to do, on our lives, on our circumstances, on our work situation, on our financial situation. All the stuff that imprisons us and paralyzes us from doing what God's actually called us to do. It's really easy to focus on those things. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy, right? This is my inner monologue throughout the week. Like, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I have this, this. Like, there's all kinds of reasons to focus inward. There's plenty of them to focus on Ourselves. I don't have the gifts and abilities to love my neighbors myself. I'm not capable. I'm not called. That's not my spiritual gift, right? Like, these are the things that we wrestle through. But if we will be as intentional with redirecting our focus to others as we are at trying to figure out our own situations and problems, imagine the impact that our stories and our scars and our Savior would have on this world through us. If we could intentionally redirect that focus through the power of God in us to others, Imagine what God, what our Savior could do through us. How he could use our stories and our scars to testify of what is available through him. Pete, will you come up? To the keyboard, not to here. To illustrate how hard this is, have you ever been at some event and then they post like photos from the event on Facebook or somewhere. And oh, I was there. What's the first thing you do? Look for yourself. You look for yourself, right? You're like, oh, where am I in that? Even like I was in a football game at Autzen Stadium and they put this camera out in the center. And they're like, this camera is going to take a 360 degree view of everybody. It's going to be digitized. You will see yourself. That night I went home. I was like, where am I? Where am I? Am I? Yep, that's about where I was sitting. That's where I was sitting. I found myself, right? Like that is... <laughs> and I'm gracious, so I use an example mocking myself. But can we relate, family? Can we relate? Oh, Casey put up some photos from the Easter egg. Where am I? Where's my kid? Do I have a, Do I look okay? Should I untag myself? <laughs> we look for ourselves, right? It's in our nature. It's in our nature. Internally, we are prone to think of ourselves first in nearly every situation. The command in this passage, however, encourage us to give others that same type of attention. Now, that might be a little awkward if you go to the pictures and you're like, hey, where's so-and-so, right? That, that's borderline stalker. I'm not talking about the photo example, but in life. What if we gave that same intentionality to looking at others and loving them as we love ourselves? There's this default reaction in our society to find ourselves, right? You guys have heard that. Find yourself. We've got to find ourselves. Go to college. Find yourself. Yeah, that works out well. So much of our culture is oriented around finding ourselves, finding what makes us happy. And I can understand this partly. You've got to try things to know what makes you tick, what you like, what hobbies, blah, blah, blah. Great. 
But when it defines the pursuit and journey of life for those in our culture, that if you just find yourself, you'll be happy. That's a bold-faced lie. I believe, and if you are in Jesus, you should believe that unless you find your hope, your life, your faith, your lordship in Jesus Christ, you'll not be happy. Thanks, Doc, for trying to finish my sandwiches. That's a frozen quote, if you haven't seen it. Where was I? If we orient our lives around trying to find ourselves and figure things out for ourselves, we miss the point that God already knows us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He has plans and purpose for us. He cares deeply about us. He has a destiny for us, a mission for us, and that he has called us to live in a certain way. And if we just focus on self-determining all these things, we forget what he, our creator, has called us into. He's created us with a destiny and a purpose. When we try to self-define our lives and our lifestyles to fit our seemingly unique circumstances, because we're all super unique, right? No one else gets us. We miss the point that our creator, the creator of the universe, God himself knows us, cares for us, and is our Lord and Savior, and we do not have to figure all this out on our own. We don't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. So will you release yourself from the unnecessary pressures of our culture and a life and live a life that is intentionally focused outward? Allow God to care for you. Allow him to protect you and see what he might do through you as an, as an expression of what he has done and will continue to do in you. Will you allow him to do that with your life? Will you stop trying to hold it white knuckle and give it to him and see how your creator, the one who designed you, might be able to use you to make an impact? And then, who you get to point to in that. Amen? Let me pray for us. Dad, thank you so much that you call us to live a life that would be set apart and that would point to you, that would testify to your character, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your justice. Thank you that you call us to forgive, that we are not the ones that are to carry out your justice. We're the ones to have faith that you are just. Help us to live that out, to forgive, to see our scars as something that can point to the one who healed us and brought us through something. Father, would you help us to be intentional with our lifestyles, with our relationships? Would you help us to try to not just look for ourselves in the crowd or in any moment what is beneficial for us, but how we can benefit your kids, how we can be ambassadors of your love and your hope in this world that you've placed us in. We thank you and we love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.